So we want to boast about what Jesus has done this morning. That sound good to you? We boast in the Lord. Because um, what he's done is create a unity among us that's rare because it's only found within the church. And it's profound because God has done it. Um, we're going to kind of come around that theme of unity throughout this entire uh, section of verses here. And what God has done in the church, no laws can do, no protests can achieve, um, no governments, no armies, no battles can do, which is he has made a group of people who are in every way is very different all across the world, actually one. So we actually have a spiritual unity here this morning, united to others as well who bear the name of Christ. And we want to enjoy that this morning, and we want to understand the significance of it. And so I'm going to read from Galatians 3, 23 to 29. Isaac, if you could click through that, and then I'll pick it up from there. Uh, the scripture is here. Uh, it's also in your Bible, obviously. Um, we're right in the middle of Paul's argument about why we're justified by faith alone, and now he's reaching some of the conclusions because of that. And he says, now before faith came, and you could just insert the word Jesus there, that's what he's talking about, faith in Jesus. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. A few Sundays back, we emphasized how all the blessings of God in Abraham come because God made a promise that he kept in Jesus, a promise that can't be canceled or changed or altered. And so this is a very climactic moment where he's saying, look, all y'all, that would be the Southern English translation, all y'all are heirs of God by faith in Jesus Christ. So let's unpack it a little bit. The beginning of Christian unity. Here's point one, kiss your nanny goodbye. Kiss your nanny, goodbye. What is going on there? All right, check this out. We talked about how ancient prisons weren't used like prisons today. If you, if you did a criminal offense today, odds are you would go to where? Go to jail, right? You'd go to jail. You might stay there for a year. You might have to stay there for 20 years. They didn't do that back then for the most part. Thousands of years ago, they couldn't afford to feed all these people and build all these jails. You'd go to jail for maybe a day or a week or maybe a year or two if your trial took a long time. But then you'd come to trial and then you'd be punished or set free. So jails back then were like holding cells. They were a waiting period for your trial to come. And Paul says that's what it was like 
And he's talking specifically about the Jewish nation. We were in a holding pen. We were constrained by the law. We were told what to do. Remember last week, we had the knowledge, but we didn't have the power to do it. We knew it was right, but we couldn't do it. We didn't have the bridge to God. So we were waiting and we had truth, but we didn't have the Messiah yet. And so you have all these promises of a Messiah and a kingdom yet to come that gave them great hope, but they were waiting. And that's why he says, right, under the law, we were imprisoned, imprisoned until Jesus would be revealed. That's verse 23. 24, he flips the metaphor around. He's still making the same point, but now he says, all right, now think about Apidagogos. I want to see how Roddy signs that. I thought we might learn a sign word this morning. A pedagogos. What's a pedagogos? Anyone hire a pedagogos around here? Do you have one that works in your house? Maybe. Do you think they mow the lawn? Raise your hand. Is a pedagogos a landscaper? Nah. What do you think? Maybe a personal chef? Personal chef? Now, what about a teacher? You think they're a teacher? Nah. The closest thing they are is a nanny. Now. I doubt any of us afford nannies around here. But what's the difference between a babysitter and a nanny? Well, a babysitter you hire for a few hours, right? So you can go out on a date or something, do something without your kids. When you come home, the babysitter has done their job if the kids are safe and they're sound, and ideally if they're asleep, if it's at nighttime. Teens, young, if you want to be a babysitter, that's the key right there. Sleeping children when the parents come home, just... You could keep that aside as a parental tip. A pedagogos, though, is not like a babysitter. A nanny is in charge of the kids. They have them in the morning. They make sure they're fed. They take them to the doctors. They make sure the parents' instructions are done. But the nanny lives and is in charge and is the guardian of the child. And so what Paul was saying was the law was like that. We were like little children, and this law of Israel was our our nanny, our custodian, our guardian. But now we've grown up because Jesus has come, and faith is here, and we're not under the nanny anymore. He says, look, now he's talking to the Galatians, right? He's, it's driving them crazy. He says, what person released from prison walks back in voluntarily? Oh, I'd like to serve five more years. I got bored on the outside, right? No one does that. What child, when they're grown up and in college, says, you know what? I'd rather listen to my nanny. Let's get the nanny back in play. Paul is saying, why do you keep going back to your old way of life? You are saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Quit going backwards. They're regressing. They're being tempted to go back to this old way of living and by works and circumcision and faith. And someone is teaching the lie. This is how crazy the lie is that says, unless you go backward, you can't go forward. Does that make any sense at all? It doesn't. That's why Paul's astonished and he's shocked and he's appalled at the situation. If you're here and you're in Christ, you're saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's it. And your old way of life, it might call you back at times. You might be attracted to some new version of Christianity that says, well, if you also do this, you'll have an extra special relationship with God. That's a lie. We come and we hold Jesus by faith. And we see him and we receive him into our hearts. And we're saved and it's done. And we're made righteous and we're not in guilt. 
And there's no sense at all in going to other forms or other rituals or ideas when you have faith in Christ. Look, this is a beautiful verse here. 1 Corinthians 8, 5, and 6, Paul says, Look, although there may be so-called gods right, in heaven or earth, as indeed there are many you know, gods and many lords, the quotes there are good, yet for us there is one God, the Father through whom are all things and for whom we exist. And there's one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom, check this out, we exist. Do you ever think about that? Do you ever think you exist through Jesus Christ? He has made you into a new creation. He has given you new life. By the power of the Spirit, you are born again. And you exist for the Father's glory. If you're stuck wondering, what is my purpose in life? What, why am I here? Let that just be a north star to you. Your purpose in any context, at any job, taking classes, not taking classes, is to bring glory to your Father. And you can do it anywhere you go. The point of this is we're not just another community of people trying to figure out how to get along. There are lots of communities of people trying to figure out how to get along, right? Sometimes they're towns, sometimes they're countries, sometimes they're clubs or organizations or even workplaces. We have a unity because we're one in Jesus Christ through whom we exist. We're no longer under the law. We are in Christ. And that unity cannot be torn apart. And the call of the gospel for us at Redemption Hill Church is to actually live out that unity. And if you hunger for a place where people are united and not divided, you ought to find it in the church because it's true. And it exists and it's real. So guys, we can't let the peripherals, the little things that we might differ on, ever pull us apart from the unity that Christ has won for us on the cross. Are you with me on that? We're all equally justified. We're all equally righteous before God. We stand as one before the Father because Jesus Christ made it happen. So if you have faith in Christ and you might think, oh, I don't matter much. I don't have many skills or gifts. You are as just as valuable and precious in the sight of God as the person who you think, oh, they can do everything. I'll let them do that. And then, No, no, no. The blood of Jesus is poured out equally to everyone who has faith in him. And so this is an amazing unity, and that's why it's rare. And that's why it's profound, because God has actually done it. And he's uniting us, and Satan's work is to try to divide. Any of you been part of church splits or divisions? I have. That's Satan's work. The thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. Satan loves to divide marriages, loves to divide churches, loves to divide families, nations. We have to be wary to the schemes of the devil because they're real and we battle them in prayer. So kiss your nanny goodbye, Paul says. Just kiss her goodbye. You ain't going back there. Done. Put off the old way of life. 
Walk by faith. Now that faith has come, he says, we're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you're all sons of God. We'll explain that in a minute. Through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. So we're getting now to the essence of Christian unity, right? The beginning of Christian unity, if you will, is faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. But the essence of it is Christ himself. We are now in Christ. This is point number two. We're, we've kissed the nanny goodbye. We're now in Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? It's a really little expression, right? Just two words, in Christ. Um, as I was reading and studying this week, it, you know, a lot of scholars came out with the idea that the, the phrase really um, kind of has two big meanings to it. The main meaning is the gospel sense, which means this. Putting on Christ, being in Christ, means that by God's grace, you've been born again. You enter into union with God through Christ. Paul said, did you notice where he said, as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ? That idea of putting on Christ is, is kind of like what it sounds. He is the fresh, clean shirt, stainless and beautiful, the garment of righteousness, and by faith we put him on. Right? So to be in Christ in some ways is to put on Christ. The secondary sense, though, picks up on what we might call like the law sense. And this is where the Greek idea of to put on Christ, to be in Christ, also means to, to live life like Jesus, to follow him, to imitate him, to imitate his teachings, to go after his behaviors, to be like Christ. And so there's both a true, if you will, declared sense, the gospel sense, when you're in Christ by faith, you're made new, you're sanctified, the shirt of righteousness comes over you, and it also means to follow after Christ, to take up his teachings. And begin, once you picture that image, it reminds us that we're equal before the Father, right? You don't put on a different Jesus than I do. There's one Christ, there's one Lord, there's one baptism. You, you don't have a different Savior. We come together, we're in Christ in a very shared way. And it's his righteousness, not yours. And that's the neutralizer. If it were my righteousness and your righteousness and their righteousness, there would be tears. Some religions probably have that, right? I, I feel like I haven't read Dante personally. But didn't he write about like tears and heaven and like circles? Anyone know? Am I on the right track here? Yes, I'm getting a yes, right? That was kind of the medieval the ancient idea that, well, some people were super close and special to God and others were on kind of a, a lower rung and others were on a lower rung. And well, it's good to be in heaven, but it'd be nice to get a little closer to God. But, eh, you know, it's like seats at a ball game, right? That's kind of the Dante image. It'd be nice to get one on the 50-yard line, but some of us, we're just happy to be in the nosebleeds, right? And that's not the picture at all. That's not an image of heaven at all. The Lord says, you, in your filthy sin, right? Me, in my disgusting sin, when I have faith in Jesus, I'm washed clean. And we are as clean as clean can be. So here's a question. If that's the case, if we've put on Christ, if we're in Christ, well, why do we go back to the old sins? Right, it's true confessions time. Sometimes when I run out of t-shirts, I just take an old one out of the laundry. Anyone else do that? You know, you're out of stuff and you're like, all right, man, I got the dirty pile on the floor. 
That's like station ground one. Two is in the, the basket. That's even a little dirtier because it's been st- sitting with the other stinky stuff. So you try the little pile. And what do you do when you pick it up? You sniff it as if like it's going to smell good, right? But you want to know how bad is the smell, right? Can I wear this thing or is it not, not good? It gets worse, right? When you run out of undergarments and you're sort of stuck, right? And so Paul is saying, look, you going back to your sin is reaching into the laundry basket while you're wearing your nice clean shirt. Stainless, smells like Tide, it's beautiful. You even used, you know, the fragrance in the dryer. And you go get the stained, spaghetti stained one with all the sweat because you jogged in it afterward. And you're like, I'd rather wear this one instead. I think this is the shirt for me. Does that make any sense? No. But we do these things because we're sinners. And sin doesn't make any sense. And repentance looks like this. Taking off the dirty shirt. Saying, no, Lord, I'm sorry, I confess. Throwing it back in the pile and letting the clean shirt shine through. Notice, I didn't say you take off the clean shirt and put on the dirty shirt. If you're in Christ, you never lose that righteousness. But sometimes you cover it up with your sin. And it is offensive to God. And it's as simple as repenting like Peter did when he went out and wept. And he said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. We're united in Jesus Christ because we all share in Christ's righteousness. And if you feel like you've lost Jesus and your sin has separated you from God, but you genuinely have faith, then you repent of your sins, you take off the old, and you wear the new, and you trust in Christ alone. I want to move to our third point here. So we've talked about the beginning. The beginning is kissing the nanny goodbye, receiving Christ, if you will, walking by faith. You guys walk by faith this week? Some weeks we should just have share your faith story where you just share what happened by faith this week. Sometimes we think faith is too much just starting in the Christian life. Faith is every day, isn't it? I mean, you face decisions, every one of you, whether you're home or out, whether you're kids in school, where you'll either walk by faith in that decision and obedience to the Lord and trust in the Holy Spirit's nudge, or you won't. And I would love to take a Sunday where we just say, all right, this coming week we're going to share what the Lord did in our lives, just because we walk by faith. That'd be cool to hear. We're not going to do it right now, though. The third point is this, though. you got to kiss your status goodbye, too. I did a lot of kissing goodbyes this week. I don't know. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. <laughs> you got to kiss your status goodbye. Let's go to 2829. Paul says, all right, right, you're in Christ. You've got the shirt on. Now, this is true. This is radical stuff. There is neither... There is neither. He's saying this does not exist here. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. 
I'm going to call these things status. You could call them identity. I, I couldn't find one awesome word for it. But he's saying, look, your ethnic status doesn't matter when it comes to the unity of God. Now, we've already talked about how God created the beautiful riches of diverse human beings. We've already talked about how the vision of heaven is people from every tribe and language and nation worshiping before the throne. But what Paul is saying is the reason that happens is there's a unity that transcends all of that. You think you're a Jew and you think you're better, Paul's saying, not here. There is no Jew or Greek here. And he's saying, look, in this church, there were slaves and free. In our own body, some of you work for each other. Not here. There's no boss or employer here. There's no rich and poor here. You might have more money in your checking account. Doesn't matter at all. None of that matters. Some of you are men. Some of you are women. In terms of status before Christ, that doesn't even exist. Even the very genders God has created to reflect his image don't exist when it comes to the unity that we share in Jesus. Paul just levels it all. Look what he says in Colossians. I like this one too. Same idea to a different church. He says, here, here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian. So the Greek mind was this. Well, you're either Greek or you're a barbarian. Those were the two people in the world. Like, how many people does it take to change a light bulb? Right? There were two people in the world, Greeks and barbarians. In the Jewish mind, there were two people, Jews and everyone else, the unclean nations. We do the same thing, right? Some of you think there's Americans and the rest of the slobs around the world, right? <laughs> Some of you think, well, there's people from TJ and then people not from TJ. Some of you think, well, there's hearing people, and then there's deaf people. Or you might think, well, there's rich people, or people who rent, and there's people who own. Or, you know, there's married people, and there's single people. Not here. Not when it comes to unity. There's one person, and that's Jesus Christ. And by faith, we're in him. He's the head. We're the body, diverse in our membership, united by faith. It's rare. It's deeply profound. It's desperately what the world needs. It has to exist here, too. It does, but we have to live it out. That's the hard part, right? Just like it's hard to live out our our justification, it's hard to live out this unity that's real. This is what Jesus prayed, John 17. The Father is constantly and perfectly answering this prayer. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. I love the fact that we're one in Jesus. Now, I am, in fact, a male of European descent, middle-aged, who can hear? That's not my full identity, though. That is not the best description of who I am. The truest thing I am is this. I am a sinner saved by grace. 
That's it. Because those things do exist, right? The reason he wrote it was because they exist. There were Jews. There were Greeks. There were men and women. Paul actually gave them instructions in those categories. He told the slaves, look, obey your masters as is fitting to the Lord. He told the masters, treat your slaves like fellow brothers and sisters if they were both Christians. Paul acknowledged that the differences were real and there, but he said when it comes to the unity of Christ, they don't even exist. I want to pause for a minute because I feel like there's a lot of questions that come out of this and just see, do you guys have questions about anything I've just shared? I may not have the answer, but I'll try to answer it. I know I kind of threw a lot at you. I talked about kissing nanny goodbye. Faith is not the law. Talked about our unity really is in Christ, right? Put on Christ to work of God's spirit, as we saw earlier in the confession. Talked about kissing your status goodbye. That's hard for some of you. I know it. Some of you, you like your status. (laughs) You like walking in the room and thinking, yeah, I'm better than some of these people. God's just got to humble you, man. And some of you are on the flip. You walk in the room and think everyone's better than you. That's a lie. When you walk in this room, we're one. We're equal before the Lord. Is there any questions on this stuff? Like, this is pretty deep. Let me ask you guys a question then. Flip the tables. He's flipping the script. (laughs) Um, How does this pertain to people outside the church? How does this pertain to the divisions in America um, where there is no actual unity in Christ? We can't pretend it exists somewhere where it doesn't, right? That would be a lie to walk into Kenosha, Wisconsin and say, look, you're all one in Christ. Well, no, they're not. So what do we do? What do we do uh, with the issues? And America is divided along all those lines, isn't it? It's divided by race. It's divided by class. It's divided by gender. Boom, 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 right? How does this fit with that? Any thoughts? And you can share. I mean, we might agree. We might not agree. That's okay. What would we say we know is the the primary and only ultimate solution? It would be what? Being in Christ. But what do you do um, in situations where people don't believe? And they're still divided, and they're hurting each other. I'll just leave you with this thought. This is a quote from Luther. I want it to sit in your head and then see if you agree with it. Because he's been challenging. This quote has been challenged me. This is what Martin Luther wrote in his commentary on Galatians. And I'm about to wrap up here. In civil matters, obedience to the law must be severely required. There is nothing must be known concerning the gospel, conscience. That would be your freedom to act according to your conscience. Grace, forgiveness of sins, heavenly righteousness, or Christ himself. So he's saying in civil matters, only Moses, with the law and its observances, 
If we keep this distinction carefully, neither the one nor the other will pass its bounds. It's kind of a challenging quote, isn't it? I think what Luther is saying is that when it comes to matters of civil obedience, you actually end up ministering according to God's law. Issues of injustice are met with justice. And he'd say when it comes to matters of salvation, you minister the gospel. I think that's what he's saying. I'm going to do a little more research on my end. I welcome you to do some on yours, but just think about that, right? Because the law never stops existing. It's always wrong to murder, to kill, to steal, and it's never wrong for you as a believer to say this ought to happen in our land, and this should not happen in our land. All right, so I want to leave you with that, just something to chew on as we um, head out of here. Um, Why don't we stand and pray?